All right, everybody. Badlands food. I've been thinking about getting a dog with my little family. We are about to introduce a dog, I believe, at some point here, and I have a interest in how we're going to be treating said dog. And it occurs to me, you know, that many dogs suffer from health issues. And with Badlands Food, actress Catherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. She's looking at their food. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that by just adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step step how anyone could do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. It caught my attention, and as I'm about to uh, get a dog, I think that I'm going to uh, use this service, so I thought I'd share it with the audience as well. Uh, I know many of you have dogs. If you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com slash dark topic and watch Catherine's video right now again that's b-a-d-l-a-n-d-s-f-o-o-d.com slash dark topic to check it out badlandsfood.com all right everybody zipix toothpicks this is something that i use all the time so this episode is brought to you by zipix nicotine toothpicks Zipix brings you a totally satisfying, convenient, and great-tasting way to curb your nicotine cravings. Now you can get your nicotine fix anytime, anywhere, without having to rely on smoking or vaping. Zipix toothpicks give you an easier, better, and more discreet way to get your fix. They're available in six great long-lasting flavors, and they have options in 2 milligrams and 3 milligrams of nicotine. Zipix are perfect for flights, sporting events, restaurants, podcasting... <laughs> Uh, literally anywhere that you smoke or vape where that's banned. They're also one of the most cost-effective nicotine products on the market. Zipix also offers caffeine and B12-infused toothpicks if you're not a nicotine user or if you're trying to get away from your nicotine habit. Zipix have already helped tens of thousands of customers, including myself, to get their nicotine fix without needing to inhale smoke or vape oils. Make your lungs happy and try Zipix nicotine-infused toothpicks. So ditch the cigarettes, ditch the vape, and get some nicotine-infused toothpicks at zipixtoothpicks.com today. Get 10% off your first order by using the code DARKTOPIC at checkout. Your lungs will be glad you did. Must be 21 years of age or older to order. Warning, nicotine is an addictive chemical. Zip more, smoke less with Zipix nicotine toothpicks. Hello out there. This is uh, Waking Up with Jack Luna, which is kind of funny because it's... Uh, waking Up with Jack Luna, I guess, isn't me waking up in the morning and, and talking from here on forward, at least for this one. It's just me trying to wake up. Just me trying to like deal with things that I, that I, that I deal with and work through them publicly, honestly, um, and try to wake up. I mean, I'm about to turn 41 on October 27th, and I feel like every single day for at least the past 10 years, I've woken up every morning and, and checked where I'm at, 
and this is the checklist. Did I drink last night? Did I smoke last night? Did I say anything fucked up? Uh, not to my family or anything like that. I mean, let's make something very clear because a lot of the messages I get and a lot of feedback I get is like, hey, how's your family doing with the way you are? They don't They don't see any of this. They They don't deal with this. This is part of my problem. I'm a high functioning, uh, alcoholic and I don't hurt my family, uh, to my knowledge with the way that I am. They haven't known anything else other than the way that I've been since I met my girl. And since my kids have known me, I mean, I've always been pretty consistent with the way I am with them. I don't blow up on them. I don't take anything from my past or anything that that maybe I express on the podcast out on them. I'm very happy around them and they're happy around me and we get along really well. Um, when I have time to myself, when I have time to sit and think and write and um, just be out in this studio that I'm in right now, my little corner in the garage that's been set up for me to do these podcasts, it gets a little dark and and the first thing i go for is is alcohol and cigarettes and at times drugs and um my demons come out when i'm alone when i'm on my own when i'm with the people that depend on me and and the people that i depend on as well that i care about i'd say 98% of the time i'm as good as i can be and even if I don't feel right, even if I'm hungover, even if I, I, I'm, I'm depressed in some kind of way, I don't show it. And um, I, I just wanted to make that clear. And that might sound like the words of someone who's trying to convince you of something that's not true, but it is true. It is true. And they would tell you that. I can go get them right now. You want me to go get them right now? They can back me up. Um, so... Anyways, this is, this is me when I'm alone with my thoughts and with my vices or without them. Uh, working through the reasons why I grab these vices, working for, through the reasons why I should continue to stay away from these vices, and, and just being open about the way that I feel about, about life. And, and anyways, since the last episode... Where I was doing well and meditating and working out and, you know, kind of on the upswing, I got to be honest with you. Um, I didn't want to do another one because I didn't do so well. I drank like any time I could since then. And you know what? And why I did it, why I'm doing it is because I felt like I deserved it. Like, maybe I can handle it. Maybe all I need is to kind of get clear for a certain period of time, and then I can kind of celebrate those achievements with drinking and smoking. and do. It's ridiculous. It's a, it's a cyclical thing. Everything runs in a circular motion. That's that song that I, I've talked about in past episodes um, that I sang to the kid that I worked with who was passing away. Everything runs in a circular motion. Love is a little boat upon the sea. Everything is a part of everything anyway. You can be happy if you let yourself be. That song I sang to a kid as he was dying. Those were the last, you know, melodic notes that kid heard. And uh, I guess I regret that was drinking then too. But really what that that song means 
and what that that mindset means is is that things keep coming back around. They just keep on running in a circular motion. And love is a little boat upon the sea. Like you kind of you, you get it, but the the waves can crash in and wipe you out, and you got to get back in the boat and get back into it, and you get wrapped up in a storm eventually again. You have good times, you have clear times, you have times, if you're like me, where you're on the upswing and then you just go on the downswing. And I, and I find for me the downswing comes as soon as I'm doing as, as well as I can possibly do. I don't take that next step up. I'm a two, what is it, two steps forward? No, one step forward, two steps back guy. And uh, I'm hoping that maybe something like my 41st birthday, which I said, like I said, comes in a couple of days, will maybe mark a point where I decide to to switch things around. But at the moment, I'll be honest with you, um, when it comes to vices, I'm not doing so good. And uh, again, in my life, I'm doing really well. Everybody's happy around me. Lots of laughs, lots of love, lots of fun, lots of making fun of myself for the way that I am or whatever. And um at the end of the day, though, I got to be honest. Again, it's I'm very disappointed in myself. I'll wake up. I'll I have this rowing machine, and I use this rowing machine, and then I'll stretch, and I'll sit there, and I'll meditate or try to. That's a question a lot of people have for me. It's like how how do you how do you meditate? How do you how do you separate? The answer is I don't. I, I try. Sometimes I kind of get there. That fourth moment I was talking about before, I I, I get there a little bit. And I think maybe I'm just weak or lazy or something, and I just go, huh, that's good enough. Yeah, my back feels stretched out. Yeah, my mind feels clear enough. And then a couple hours have passed. I get my kids ready for school, give my girl a hug, and, you know, we talk and we laugh and we joke. And I'm like, okay, it's time to work, and I'll head out into the studio. And the first thing I think is, hey, man, I need a six-pack or eight-pack would be good right now. I have a pack of cigarettes, you know. That's what uh, all the greats do. That's what uh, Hunter S. Thompson did. Look at Hunter S. Thompson, snorting lines of coke, uh, doing acid, wrote some of the, some great works, you know. To be honest with you, that's, that's not me. When I'm drinking any dark topic you've ever heard, anything that I've ever created that's worth anything, I did when I was sober. And all I'm doing when I'm drinking is thinking that I'm celebrating some kind of achievement the, or or convincing myself that I deserve to do this. And there's a demon, or not a demon, there is a depression inside me that I drown with with this stuff. And it's good. My life is so good. My girl is beautiful. She's hilarious. She's so easygoing. My kids are so happy and full of life. And I have a three-year-old and a 10-year-old, and they don't see any darkness in me. They just see light all the time. And it's almost like, all that good that I have to to give, as soon as I get alone, I like embrace the darkness for some reason. And that's where I am. Since the last time that we spoke or I spoke at you like this, I uh, didn't listen to my own advice. I thought that I could be whatever I wanted to be and and just get by with drinking and with smoking and all that stuff. And, 
in the evening, drink a bunch of water and watch a few shows, maybe smoke a bit of weed. And, and it has been fine, but I'm not, I'm certainly not. My aunt said to me once, and she's passed away, but my aunt and I were very close. And she said that we all rise to our level of incompetence. And I'm constantly below the water of all the, the air and all of, all of the, the heights that I know that I possibly can reach. And I, I don't mean to pat myself on the back by that, but I mean, just as a human being, I'm constantly below the water. It's like I feel better below the water. Like I feel like I can't fail if I don't put myself completely out there. So it's nice and warm and, and fuzzy and, and easy down here. How could I possibly fail when I'm already failing? <laughs> How can you fail? How can you fuck up when you're a fuck up? It's coward, cowardly shit. But it's the way it is. Anyways, it's almost Halloween season. And uh, I wrote a short story. And I played it for the people on Patreon, and it's about hell, and it's about this cyclical thing. I don't know if I'm saying the right term, but like a circular thing, you know, like you keep on, you do well, and you pop back down. So it's like a Ferris wheel, like, oh, up here, oh, can I fly? Nah, I don't want to fly. Fuck that. This is good enough. You know what? I'm just going to go back down here, and then I'm going to get that high on the way back up again. And I get to enjoy the high on the way up. I get to enjoy being at the at the very top. And then I get to enjoy the, the trip back down because the guy like, oh, deserved it. I deserve this little break. Oh, I'm at the bottom. Fuck this. I got to get all the way back up before I kill myself. And then I'm on my way back up. And it's like a hell that, that I, it's not just me. I think a lot of us live in this circular thing. We get stuck in a loop. And it was what I was talking about the fourth moment, trying to break these cycles, trying, trying to start a new trend in your life, trying to get up and, and go for a run instead of walking over to the beer store, running past it and doing a lap around a cornfield and coming back home and uh, drinking a fucking smoothie. I haven't been able to do it. Uh, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to keep trying. But, but at the same time, I can't lie to you. I can't lie to myself. And uh, I am in a hell in a certain kind of hell. Uh, and I think a lot of, a lot of us are, and, and uh, I don't know if it helps to share it, but I think, um, being honest is best for me and, uh, all that I can offer that's real. Anyways, here is a story that I wrote for the Halloween season. And it's about hell. Can we talk something else? Can we talk about something else? Hello out there. Every May in small town Canada, it's tradition to light a firework called the Burning Schoolhouse. Perhaps it's a way of celebrating the near end of the school year, but it's a disturbing sight. Always the last to be lit, the miniature schoolhouse burns brightly in the late May twilight, a greenish, poisonous glow and combustion spewing from the wick, children crowding round like the ghosts of those that could be imagined to be melting at their desks there within. An adult will usually shed out something stupid like, uh, they just saw the janitor. 
It was at a basement window. When I was a kid, they sold these burning schoolhouses at a gas station near my house where a Chinese man had franchised the 7-Eleven attached to it. He took over the filling station, the gas station, at some point, and I worked there when I became a teenager. It was called Beaver Gas, which is funny. We called it the Queef, but anyways. There was a huge man who always came in to buy lottery tickets. He was a custodian for the elementary school, a janitor. And the Chinaman, as he called himself, likely to defuse all of the obvious racism he was enduring or had endured, as a way to own it, control it. The Chinaman, as he called himself, couldn't stand the big janitor. They hated each other. This monster of a janitor, Big John, was always accusing the Chinese man that owned this 7-Eleven and Beaver gas station of having counterfeit lottery tickets. And to be honest, I think he was right, because the Chinaman, the manager, the franchisee of the 7-Eleven and Queef Hut I worked in, Beaver Gas, was a shady character. He'd ask me if I had friends who would rob us, like that would be good if I did, like we'd all benefit from that somehow, wink, wink. And I'll leave it at that. Anyways, between the burning schoolhouse fireworks we used to sell, the enormous janitor that was always arguing with my boss on the AM after my night shift, and the lonely nights I spent at Beaver Gas serving drunk drivers and waiting to be robbed, a thought occurred to me as I sat smoking at 4 a.m. under the 7-Eleven's green neon, the same glow those burning schoolhouses used to throw off in the late spring that the monster of a janitor and my boss, the tiny Chinese man, the Chinaman, were stuck in a loop. And if I weren't careful, I might just become a part of it. So I quit one morning, soon after, which wasn't unusual. Kids always quit from the Beaver gas station. And the Chinese man asked me why, and I said, because I had better things to do, to which he flinched. And as he flinched, Jander John pressed his large, meaty frame through the front door, jingling those bells above that seemed to signal another go-round and a small patch of hell. Welcome to Dark Topic. I'm your host, Jack Luna. This is a little treat for the Halloween season. The Trick. Bells over the door of the filling station jingle, and the manager wakes up in a cold sweat. The man came from nowhere, it seemed. He simply appeared in this small prairie town on the border of Saskatchewan and Manitoba, the middle of Canada, the middle of nowhere, a place where people are from, but never to. The year was tough to tell. By this point, but the month was October and the day, the holiday, as you may have guessed, was Halloween. The large man gave his name as, well, he didn't give a name, just pointed to the help wanted sign, then started pumping gas. The manager had agreed to the hire by a shake, not of the hand, but of his entire body, when the large man had awoken him from his snooze at the till. He was enormous, 
even to the hardy farm boys who gaped at the stranger as they came rumbling in for diesel in their jacked-up trucks. Slack-jawedness wasn't an unusual expression in parts like these, but at six foot six and nearly 350 pounds, the man with the empty name tag was a sight to behold. Dressed in worn blue-bib coveralls with filthy white full-body thermal underwear beneath, this new hire was an immediate sensation, and soon the whole town was finding reason to go get their vehicle topped up and catch their own glimpse of the monster man. That's what they'd immediately dubbed him, and for good reason. The stranger had a head on him like a big toe, a neck like the base of an oak, with thick scarring that stretched up from his collar and wrapped around the back of his bald head like burning branches that smoldered angrily on his white, almost translucent skin. And he appeared hairless, bald, yes, but more like scalded. He had no eyebrows. His features were expressive in a backwards way, everything straining not to be sucked in through those nostrils that flared and ate air, the fist of a face seeming to clench with each inhale. He looked dumb, but was he deaf too, blind? It seemed impossible for eyes to even exist beneath those pained lids, though if one dared to look the monster man in the face as they paid for fuel, they'd see something like hard-boiled eggs shifting beneath the thick skin melted over the sockets. Each customer received a full tank and no change. Not a word was spoken by anyone for the entirety of time that this oddity took place, as if in a miniature village stared down upon by some gas station jockey in another realm, peeking into a snow globe he'd grabbed off the shelf in his reality. The store manager, who had not agreed to the hire, sat on the stoop in front of his usually desolate little filling station and gaped like all the rest. The store manager was accustomed to being ignored. They called him the Chinaman, and in every town he'd fled to, every filling station he'd franchised from Stoner, B.C., to Whippy, Ontario, to Dildo, Newfoundland. To here. Out in the middle of nowhere. The Canadian Prairie. They didn't seem to like him much, and he didn't like them either. The Monster Man and the Chinaman. A happy Halloween forever. Popping up wherever a schoolhouse effigy burns in the late light of spring. He pumped tank after tank maybe 30 or 40 that Halloween afternoon as the trains rolled by, before dusk began to collect the light, and the cars of the town residents returned home, confused. The afternoon had seemed to pass in the time it took the store manager to smoke a cigarette. When the green neon sign buzzed to life over the now-deserted pumps, the spell finally snapped. The filling station manager got up off the curb and looked around frantically, Where'd the man go? He'd been there a moment ago, as the last car returned home to ready children for the night's tricks and treats, taillights floating away like candy apples and little phantom hands. But when the station's green neon light had combusted to life like a wick lid on a noxious little firework, the monster man had flickered out. Like an image in the television, he'd snapped from existence. 
coveralls stuffed with the day's cash. It wasn't long before the Chinaman saw the children. A crowd of them approaching the filling station, each and every one dressed in costumes made of charcoal, heads bald and melted, features fused shut. The surrounding prairie moans, echoing the rumble and the blare of the train whistle. And the filling station manager feels a strong sense of deja vu. What is this? The children are in the glow of the green neon sign, appearing now like creatures from a toxic lagoon. What's happening here? All at once, the horde of children seem to sing telepathically, the question that never failed to fill his head like a firebomb. Trick or treat? Twick! Always twick! And the monster man flickers back on before lifting him in a crushing bear hug that squeezes his insides out from his anus like toothpaste. The bells over the filling station door jingle, and the manager wakes in a cold sweat. He snaps to reality like the man, the monster man, had snapped out in the dream. Soaked with sweat, he eases himself up out of his chair, surprised by being able to sleep. He hadn't slept in days, months, years, ever since the fire, the fire he'd set at the school, the one that ate the children. His customer is a shadow, somewhere in between the shelves stocked with wiper blades, oil, sunglasses, and potato chips, little cardboard schoolhouses with cartoon flames running up over the roofs, and the words, Can I help you? die in his throat as the shadow pulls into the rising form of the monster man, eyes black and bulging like thousand-year-old eggs. The mouth split open like drought-stricken prairie soil. Why? It wasn't a question, just a word the thing knew. And then the manager knew. John, John, Janet and John, you're alive. Why? The large man, the monster man, Janitor John lurches forward, a clump of melted keys swinging from a chain attached to his brown coveralls. You robbed me, John, that's why you fuck. The manager runs to the till, empties it, then begins stuffing the cash frantically into Janitor John's pocket. Jesus Christ, John! The Chinaman knew, before John could ask a third time, that this too was a nightmare. That it was all a nightmare. A hell he now lived in, he knew that the monster man from Meaford or Moncton or Montreal would show up again in the next one. He knew, he knew that Halloween was forever now, that dusk was as close as he would ever get to darkness, and that every small Canadian town had a schoolhouse. The filling station manager from 1966 who torched the school on a Monday in some small town, one like this, accidentally, mind you, on Halloween to feed his soul sickness new. As the monster man grabbed him by the throat to crush it, that death were too good for a man like him, and that before he would be allowed to snap away like an image on the television, the kids would be here to ask, trick or treat. And he would be forced to answer, the same way he always has, the trick. The trick is all that man's ever known. And something tells him that the treat is a trick in itself and will be so much worse that the treat will be hell real hell not this way station at the filling station the devil you know John the janitor squeezes the store manager's throat 
and his eyes swelled to the size of boiled eggs. He had meant to kill just John, the store manager. He meant to just kill him with the firebomb. He meant to torch him for robbing the store. He knew it had been John who robbed him. The jingle of keys had given him away after the jingle above the filling station doors had woken him. He'd known right away it was the janitor robbing him. Way back when. The keys would have been enough. The jingle of them after the jingle of the bells. But the size of John and the stupidity. Big John the janitor had not been known for his brains. He'd robbed the filling station on his lunch break. Using the paper bag from his lunch. A bag that probably said John on it. To cover his face as he demanded cash. And back then in 66, the town couldn't believe it. They loved the big lout. And they'd hated the filling station manager. He didn't know why. Maybe his accent, his skin color, the fact he was a Chinese man in the 60s in Canada. Probably. He'd heard them. They didn't call him the Chinaman. They called him the Chinky Chinaman. And that had truly started the fire in the filling station manager's heart. But when he tossed the Molotov into the janitor's office as Big John ate lunch and the kids gathered above in the gymnasium for the Halloween dance, the whole thing had gotten out of hand. How could he know John would run through the halls, lighting the old schoolhouse up as he went? The whole building was aflame in less than three minutes. Whoosh! It had exploded to flame like it had wanted to burn. The children, though, melting up from the windows. Masks fused to their little faces. Faces that appear now at this new store window. Trick or treat! Trick! Always trick. His eyeballs burst as the monster man finally puts on the squeeze. And outside, under a green glow, poisonous, noxious green glow, the charcoal children cheer. What a treat. The bells over the door of the filling station jingle. And the manager wakes up in a cold sweat. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. As I smoke a cigarette. Something I do with smoking is um, I half-ass that too. Like I'll smoke a pack of cigarettes, but I don't inhale it all the way. And I think that that's a good thing. I just suck it into my throat and spit it out. I don't pull it into my lungs. So I do inhale just into my throat and then I push it out. So that's like half-ass. It's like I'm I'm not completely smoking if I just kind (laughs) of... And my throat kills me because of that. Um, so I thought I'd share that too. If I'm going to go out, it's likely going to be a throat fucking situation. On that note, let's listen to some of the, uh, (laughs) some of the calls that you guys have, uh, called into me. I haven't heard any of them. So I'm going to play about three of them and, uh, react directly to them right here, right now. All right. Call number one. Thank you for like, I got like 20 of them, so I'll do three, but thank you. Thank you for the for the reach out, and I'll get to all of them eventually at some point. Number one. I've been a long-time listener of all episodes of all your shows, and I've fought alcoholism for the better part of the last decade, or all of the last decade, and I'm currently nine months sober, and there's been times where I'm listening to your show when I've been fighting, and I hear you give up. 
you give up it seems like so easily in your tone of voice and you're okay with it but knowing the struggle that sobriety or, or becoming drug and alcohol free is it's an internal loss inside that's overwhelming and it takes takes over you and it feeds into the rest of you and i don't know i long story short i got a dui the kids were in the car with me and i had one slip in 11 months and that was the only time i drank in that 11 month period and sitting in jail waiting to get out i decided that no matter what at all cost i was going to do what i had to do to get right with myself and do whatever it took that's all there is there on that call thank you dominic uh yeah i i don't i've never hit rock bottom and i think that's part of the problem I uh, have been in the same situation that you say like, with your DUI and all that, and I just never got caught. And I just have never hit rock bottom. I've had times where I, I feel felt very close, but eh, I just never let myself get there. And it's part of like my burden or my curse is that I see the bottom and I just, I avoid it. I've been in so many bad situations. I'm like, I'm gone. I just leave and and I preserve myself for another day of doing the um, harmful stuff that I, that I do to my psyche and to my body and everything else. What do you say? That I said like I give up very easily. You're right. And... Uh, there, there's a lack of strength, I guess. I mean, there's a lack. I got to tell you, man. It's hard to say because I, I know that my dad and I don't talk a lot at all anymore. We haven't spoken for like three years now. But um, and it, there's a lot of really great things my dad did for me. And there's a lot of uh, detrimental things that obviously happened between himself and I. And one of the big detriments, the thing that I witnessed with my father was that um, he would fuck everything up so bad, but he would always have the strength to kind of come back the next day and persevere through it. And whether that meant going and grabbing another bottle or just not giving a fuck about it and moving on and making a joke about it and just getting through to the next week or whatever, I adopted that from him. When people say to me, like, how can you wake up and have a beer at eight in the morning? I'm like, how could he not? Like, aren't you hungover? Like, that's what you do to feel better. You're, you know, you're withdrawing from alcohol. So give yourself more alcohol. And then if you don't want to drink halfway through the day, take a couple of cold pills and it'll smooth you out. And maybe you'll be fine. Like, dude, I do all kinds of crazy things to, to get past it. I never just crumble. And I'm strong in the worst way. When you hear me giving up, it's more like, uh, ha ha, I'm not going to do it, justifying that failure and then regaining my strength through continuing on with those um, horrible habits that I like to pretend like I have control over. So thank you for the, for the message there, Dominic. I'll take that to heart. 
Let's do another one here. Hey, Jack. My name is Amanda, and I'm uh, calling from Buffalo, uh, New York. (laughs) First of all, I just want to say that, you know, you should be very proud of yourself. You know, we all have demons, of course, but you're fighting them, and you should be really proud. You are an inspiration to me. I love listening to you. Um, you're always pretty damn positive and I think that's great. And, you know, your kids are truly lucky to have you. Your wife is lucky to have you and just know that, you know, even on your worst days, just remember, you know, people care about you. We here out in, you know, virtual land, we care about you and we're proud of you. Um, my question for you today is, I'm curious how you manage to meditate with anxiety. I have pretty wicked anxiety and my brain never shuts off. So I'm wondering how you manage to get your brain to stop so that you can get to the place you need to be to meditate. Thank you again. Keep doing what you're doing, man. We appreciate it. Thanks, Amanda. I think I've already answered this question. The answer is that I don't, that I've struggled the same way that you struggle. And that when I speak about those things, I know that there are answers there. I know that it's probably the right path, but I have difficulty getting onto that path myself as well. When I sit and I try to meditate, thoughts swarm in constantly. But I do have moments, maybe for five or 10 or even 15 seconds, where I do get into that, you know, when you're about to take a nap, not that I take many naps, but you know, when you're about to doze off and there's just a, it's almost like a waking dream happening where you don't really know what's going on around you, but you just feel this peace and maybe some, some odd and strange thoughts come into your mind and even play out a circumstance that's not going on, but that could be going on. You know, when you're like uh, about to get in an argument, you know, it's coming the next day and you're speaking it to yourself back and forth in the mirror. I don't know if I'm just crazy and I'm the only one who does that, but it kind of happens in this dream state before a nap that I rarely try to take again. But um, just a peacefulness, I can get there for moments and I hope to exercise those muscles in the future and be able to live there for uh, longer periods of time. And I, I think that that's the fourth moment, just these these moments where you're, or this time frame where you allow yourself to be nothing and where those dreamlike, um, nonsensical, uh, almost plays like a dream start to flood into your head and uh, hopefully eventually be able to fight those off too and just be alone and at peace in those moments before I take on the day. I- I'm, t- I'm trying to get there too, Amanda, and I have no answer for you. But when I do, I'll let you know. Thanks for the kind words. I'll do one more on this uh, stepping into a nightwear with Jack Luna. Yo, Jack. I've contacted you via <coughs> sorry, Instagram. I don't really make enough money to support everything I should, but I really enjoy 
listening to you and the waking up um the a lot of the stuff you're saying on the waking up with jack podcast or whatever the fuck dude close to the bone uh you're a trippy dude man i really enjoy listening to you i really get a lot of feeling and i really wish you the best and don't fuck it up brother don't fuck it up. You got kids. You, you, you know, you, you do the right thing. I didn't have kids because my life was shit growing up. And I didn't want to visit that on my fucking kids. And my brother always told me he was wrong or I was wrong. And he had kids. And guess what? That bitch ass motherfucker fucked his kids up bad. So I feel vindicated. But yeah, man, keep doing your thing. I love it. My name is Cody. I live in San Diego, California, and I wish you well. Cody got cut off there. Thanks, Cody. Um, Yeah, man, I I won't fuck it up, and that's part of the problem. You know, I've never, I won't fuck it up. I I can't fuck it up Um, when it comes to my family and everybody else. When it comes to this, when it comes to expressing myself and going deep into, you know, the way that I feel about things or the way that I comprehend the world or, or the way that I see a certain story and then retell it, <clears throat> it puts me in a strange uh, state of mind where I got to be on my own. Without my family, without my kids, I would be a real, I don't know what I'd be. <clears throat> I'd be lost for sure. And um, I'm happy that you seem to be able to to go on with, with on, on your own and and without without that. I'm sorry that your brother fucked up his situation. Um, I'm very fortunate, and that I'm able to, like I keep on talking about uh, on this particular episode, separate my damage, my demons, my fucked up shit <clears throat> from my family situation. There's two two completely different sides to me when I'm with my family with my kids they are affecting me. I'm not affecting them. I don't put my shit onto my kids. I don't put my shit on my girl. I try not to. <clears throat> and uh, and a lot of the reason why I'm able to do what I do when it comes to my family life is because of my girl. She's very easygoing. She hears me kind of start to go off on a certain tangent or certain, off the rails a little bit, and she doesn't... She doesn't lay down more track. She um, derails it, and it's just fun again, and it's just happy, and it's just don't worry about it. Everything's okay here, and um, I, I'm very blessed with a, with a with a really good woman, and uh, and great kids. And again, I just um, I'm so thankful to be able to to, to use this medium as a way to, to express myself and as a way to meet people um, who are going through similar things and hopefully use this whole Waking Up With Jack Luna or even Dark Topic uh, as a, um, a ride and for someone to just compl- watch somebody who's on the track, off the track, off the rails and, and kind of working through it. I, I, I don't know if I said it on the last one because um, I'm an alcoholic and I completely forget everything that I say <laughs> from day to day. Um, but 
<clears throat> as I gap out in real time here. A lot of people that you'll listen to talk about their issues or, or talk about alcoholism or their mental illness, their depression, you know, their dark side. A lot of people who talk about it openly have gotten past it. And whenever I'm hearing that, I'm like, okay, you know, I, I can't, I'm not there. Sure, you can relate to me in telling your stories about when you were here, but you're not here anymore. And I think there's certain things that you're forgetting. And I wanted to make um, podcast episodes within Dark Topic like this, these, well, only like this, uh, this Waking Up with Jack Luna, where you're going to hear a guy being honest about his current struggles, not about anything that I'm over. I'm in it. And I know a lot of you are too. And I appreciate you taking the time to reach out to me. And um, I bet you on the next one, I'll be talking about how much weights I'm lifting or how many pull-ups I could do or about a run I took and the deer that I saw or about the crows and how they run certain neighborhoods and they, they bully other birds out. And birds strange? They're like little dinosaurs. Birds chirping at night aren't actually just trying to make a song for you. They're calling their babies home and trying not to get them eaten by kittens. Cats, not kittens. So, um, again, anyways, thank you. You know what? I'll, I'll, let's, let's do one more. There's so many. Let's, let's bang out four. Um, I don't, I'm not going to overrun you guys with uh, waking up with Jack Luna's. Uh, dark topic is dark topic, but this is just a once in a while thing because... Um, I find I can't really express myself completely on the intros or even on the outros feels a little forced sometimes. So this is just pure that stuff that I used to be able to do a little bit better in the old days. Last one here. Hey, Jack, it's Sylvia down in New Mexico. Um, I've been listening to the Morning with Jack Luna podcast and the 911 Calls podcast, the most recent one. And in listening to the Morning podcast, I heard you talk about your journey um, in sobriety. And then in the second one, I heard you talk about your wanting a healthier relationship with alcohol. And it seems to me that what you're doing is practicing harm reduction. And I was just wondering if maybe you'd be willing to just talk a little bit more about how you're practicing that. I've heard you talk about it on a few other um, podcasts you've done. And I know that for me, harm reduction saved my life and my ass. And it was a huge relief to find it because it gave me a pathway um, to reduce shame and guilt and fear and feelings of disappointment in myself when I would have a slip or I would fall off. Um, and it also gave me a window into the idea that there's more than one way to work with your own journey around drugs and alcohol. And that was a huge relief. Took away a lot of dogma for me. Um, yeah. So I love the podcast. Love everything you do. See how I gave you a little compliment there to get my question in there. Um, but seriously, it would be awesome if you talk about it. Eyes cocked, doors locked, stay paranoid. Thanks so much, Jack. Thanks, Sylvie. Um, I, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I, I don't subscribe to anything. I'm not going to put down anything. I think some people think that I'm anti-AA or anti-any uh, path that's um, a well-traveled one by other people that worked for them. Um, I'm just a guy who's fucking up and down, who is cyclical, who, who has highs and lows and, uh, currently kind of on a low here. And, um, 
harm reduction, I mean, I, again, I'm in a very, very um, blessed, I guess, situation where my family is so great and everything is f- wonderful. But me by myself in my studio doing the dark topic thing, I, I fall into a pit and a pit that I think I need to be in uh, to be worth listening to, I guess, at times. And it's a joke. It's a trick. It's a, it's a lazy thing that I do to myself. It's a justification of um, my tendencies. My, I come from a long line of alcoholics. I come from a long line of fuck-ups. And I've always been celebrated for not being as fucked up as the people, the men that have come before me. And the bar was pretty low. So when people hear about certain things in my life and they see what I've done with my life, they celebrate me. So I'm kind of like sneaky. I'm like, well, uh, Jack's drinking. Oh, well, he could be doing heroin. You know, Jack's out there smoking and drinking and he might do a line of Coke or something every once in a while. Well, did you hear like, you know, what his past or whatever it's like or what he could be doing? I mean, he seems to be holding up pretty well. His girl seems very happy. His kids are happy. Everybody's taken care of. I think that Jack's doing all right. And Jack is doing all right. But he could be doing a whole hell, hell of a lot better. Jack wonders. If he quit drinking and he quit smoking and he he got, you know, healthy and was of a healthy mind for the first time in his life, how much better his life would be. If Jack is getting by the way that he's getting by, being so fucked up privately for the most part still, what would he be like if he actually got his shit together? So that's that's the the path I'm on. When when you're talking about harm reduction, I guess my my brand of that is not fucking my family up. I got a real, real stopping point in me when it comes to affecting my family with my demons. I shut them off from them. I know they're mine. They're not theirs. I don't let those demons come in and, and meet them. And it's very harmful to me because I almost celebrate those demons when I'm on my own. I let them come out and play, you know. And I got to get to the point where I care about myself as, as much as I care about my kids and my girl. And um, if I don't, I fear that eventually something bad will happen. I'll find out I got some kind of an illness or my, my mental health will deteriorate privately to a point where I uh, think that maybe that those demons are going to flood out onto them and then I take myself out. That's what I see for myself down the road. If I continue with with alcohol and and uh, drugs and and negative thoughts on myself when I'm alone privately, I don't see it right now, but I know that it could sneak up on me and take me over when I'm not looking. And before you know it, I become something that's completely different than who I am right now. I think it's around the corner. I think it's it's lurking on me, and I think that if I keep that door open um, long enough. It's going to come on in and shut the door. That's my fear. So to answer your question, my harm reduction is to not cause any harm. And uh, when it comes to myself, all the harm goes on to me. 
uh, privately, and, and I got to work on caring about myself um, in the future. I don't want to seem like I, or, or come across like I think that I'm different or better than anybody else uh, I, uh, who's in my same situation when it comes to struggling with uh, drug or alcohol abuse or mental health issues. Um, but I got to be honest and say that I haven't met anybody that handles it the way that I do. And the people that I speak to that are as down or appear to be as down as I am in certain ways, I'm always above. I'm always like giving them advice and all that. It's like I can handle it better. And it's a curse that I can't seem to hit that rock bottom and that I can't seem to get so low that I really need to obviously make a change. I'm a very high functioning piece of shit. So anyways, I, I appreciate you guys all reaching out. I appreciate you listening to me, and uh, I hope you're all well. I'm way better than I sound. Uh, in fact, uh, for my birthday, my girl and I are going to like this haunted hotel, and we're going to go, and we're going to eat sushi, and we're going to have a good time. My business life is going really well. I got great friends in my life. I got a great family, like I said, and I got all the reason in the world to turn uh, the ship around. But really what this is all about is that there are I'm on that Ferris wheel. And I'm at the bottom right now. And, you know, if you were to talk to me in three days, which I would never record myself as positive, there'd be nothing to talk about except for high fives and whatever. You'd be like, there's nothing going There's nothing wrong with this guy. This guy's doing great. But uh, like all of us, I, I do have my lows. And this is, I'm at one right now. And, and I'll pick it up tomorrow and I'll probably be high and, and fine again. But um, for those who are low, I want you to know that I'm with you. And um, for those that are high, I want you to know that I'm not as low as I sound. Eyes cocked, doors locked, state paradigm. Thank you.